Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us. Hope you're having a good day. Here's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, the big issue about who has jurisdiction over, and we don't even know what to call it, I guess. Some say fake meat, some say clean meat. These lab-produced meat, if you will. Who has jurisdiction? FDA has now. Should it go to USDA? We'll talk about that issue with Colin Woodall with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Also talks some trade issues with Colin as well. Chuck Connor with the uh, National Council of Farmer Cooperatives will be with us as well to talk about labeling, bioengineered uh, labeling on food products, what should be on those labels, how do we educate and inform consumers without misleading them or frightening them, We'll get into that issue. And then Kelly Smith with the Missouri Farm Bureau will join us. The drought in Missouri, especially some parts of Missouri, very severe, taking a toll, and especially on the livestock industry. And we'll get an update on that. Kelly Smith will join us from Missouri Farm Bureau a little bit later on in the program. But joining us right now, we have Todd Neely, reporter for DTN. Hi, Todd. How are you? Hey, good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Very good. Big meeting tomorrow for Renewable Fuels that will be held in Michigan. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, you know, it was interesting when the EPA put out the notice about uh, the RFS public hearing. Uh, I think a little, some people were surprised to see it being held in Michigan. You know, it's, um, we've, we've seen a number of years where EPA has uh, set up shop in Kansas City and some of these areas right, you know, directly in the Corn Belt. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's in Ypsilanti, Michigan tomorrow, and uh, so far as we can tell, there's going to be about 58 testifiers uh, showing up. Here's like most of its agriculture folks, uh, biofuels people. Uh, we've also heard that Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds may be uh, testifying. So it'll be an interesting day. Um, you know, with the change at, at EPA with Andrew Wheeler becoming the next administrator. Um, I think people are still trying to sound him out. Um, you know, this morning, Senator Grassley had talked about uh, he's going to have a, he's invited Wheeler uh, to Iowa to meet with biofuel producers and other people. Um, so things are really just getting started with this new administrator. We're going to kind of see uh, how that plays out here in the next couple of weeks, but tomorrow is going to be a big deal. Uh, people, all the concerns about the RFS, it'll be interesting to hear. I see a delegation of lawmakers from Iowa have invited Wheeler to their state to talk about renewable fuels. I wonder if he'll take him up on that. Uh, yeah, you know, I expect he will. Um, you know, Senator Grassley uh, had said that he's actually met with Wheeler. Wheeler called him, I believe, uh, right after he was appointed, um, you know, trying to touch bases. I mean, I guess it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because, um you know, when you look at Wheeler and his background, you know, he had some involvement with Senator Inhofe for a number of years working on the Senate on the Senate committee. Uh, Wheeler was actually involved in, uh, you know, the drafting of the two RFA uh, laws, one in 05 and one in 07. So he's very familiar with the RFS. He's, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. I, I think uh, there's some possibilities here. You know, already we're seeing that he's kind of, he's kind of under the radar kind of guy, not, not so much like Scott Pruitt. You know, Pruitt was out there. Um, lots of controversy, and, and so, um, if anything, I think Wheeler is going to be kind of a breath of fresh air. Well, it'll be interesting to see what the final uh, rule is for the uh, for next year's levels under the RFS. 
Will there be yeah. enough built in, basically, to, to cover any um, losses in volume due to refinery waivers? Yeah, well, you know, so far, uh, Wheeler and, and the EPA, they had sent out a letter to Grassley and some other senators in response to some questions about the waivers program. And uh, the EPA had indicated that it's kind of going to stick its ground on, uh, you know, on how it's enforcing that. Um, you know, as we've said before, I, you know, there's a number of court challenges to this, and um, I, I don't know that anything's going to be resolved with, with Wheeler at the EPA. Um, you know, there's still, I guess there's still some possibilities, but the way things look, the agency's definitely concerned about continuing to follow the law as they see it. Uh, you know, if it goes to a court of law and, uh, you know, we get a real a trial, whatever the case may be, um, you know, there's definitely some grounds for challenging that rule, but... Um, you know, at this point, um, I, I think there's enough to be encouraged, you know, about Wheeler. At least he's uh, seeming to listen, and, and uh, you know, that's kind of a nice thing. We're talking with Todd Neely with DTN. And, Todd, I guess on another front, on Waters of the U.S., uh, that effort continues, the process continues to repeal the old law and come up with a new one. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting. Uh, right before Scott Pruitt um, had resigned, uh, the EPA put out an announcement that it was kind of extending the public comment period on, on WOTUS. Uh, and so I, I, I think that's more related to uh, the repeal of the, of the 2015 law. Um, we expect any time uh, for the Office of Managing, Management and Budget to release the, the proposed rule, and we expect that's going to look quite different. Um, you know, all, all leading up to this, all the lawsuits and, and all the uh, – all the talk from Scott Pruitt about what he was going to do, and uh, we still haven't really seen the word of the law of this new proposal. And so I think that, um, you know, obviously that's going to be challenged to the hilt. But I, I think uh, we suspect that probably here within the next 30 days or so we may end up seeing that uh, that proposal come out. So what has so far been your impression of Andrew Wheeler? Um, as you said, his style is certainly different. Do you find him... Is he more open, more accessible, or not? Well, you know, I, I think the one thing that strikes me about Wheeler, um, it appears that he, he doesn't have a lot of industry connections necessarily. You know, there's been a lot made about his his lobbying efforts. You know, I, I think when his, the announcement came out that he would be the next guy, um, you know, there's, there's all this outcry about his, his coal industry connections. Uh, but he actually never lobbied EPA on, on you know, on behalf of the coal industry. And so you look at his background, and he's got a wide variety of things that he's done. Uh, you know, he's lobbying on behalf of a, a wide number of industry people. And, and uh, I think, you know, at least at this point, he feels to be more of an open slate than what Scott Pruitt did. Um, you know, I think when Pruitt came in, you know, there was obvious questions about all his strong oil ties and, and that sort of thing. Uh, at least with Wheeler, it doesn't appear to be that way. He seems to be more of a guy that, you know, he had a career start in the EPA, and so he uh, he knows how the agency works, and I think, um, you know, that's probably a breath of fresh air considering that, um, you know, we've seen all these battles uh, with Pruitt and, and all of his connections to the oil industry. Yeah, you may not agree with the actions he takes, but if it's a more of transparent, uh, more accessible method of, and and you have a better idea where they're coming from, it makes it a little easier to yeah. accept, right? Yeah, I think so. You know, and 
you know, if he comes to Iowa and he gets a feel for what, you know, what it's like in ethanol and agriculture, all these things that we talk about, um, you know, I think that's a good start. Uh, you know, whether, you know, whether people are actually going to be able to have a, a lot of access to Wheeler at this point, farmers and others is, is yet to be seen. But I, um, you know, I, I think just starting over at this point is, is a good thing. Yep. Todd, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. Take care. Todd Neely, reporter for DTN. Again, that's going to be a big meeting in Michigan tomorrow uh, on uh, the RFS. Well, coming up next, Colin Woodall with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We want to talk about the jurisdiction issue over fake meat or clean meat, however you want to call it. Who should have it, USDA or FDA? And, of course, we'll talk trade as well. Colin Woodall up next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable Bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information, and then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, 
The hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we have a lot to talk about with Colin Whittall, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, thanks for joining us. It's great to be with you, Mike. Big debate right now, and well, a couple of debates on the same topic. Uh, lab grown meat. Some want to call it clean meat. I think you call it fake meat. Regardless, the big debate is also who should have jurisdiction. FDA does now. Some think it should be USDA. How do you feel about it? We believe it needs to be USDA. Even though FDA is making the case that they are capable and it should be under their jurisdiction, so far they actually haven't done anything to regulate that product. That really is the first thing that has to be done, is that that product has to be regulated. And since it is grown from bovine cells, we believe it is uh, qualifies to be inspected by the Food Safety Inspection Service. And when you look at these companies, they want to play in the meat space. So if they want to play in the meat space, they need to be inspected like we are. And that means daily inspection by FSIS. One thing a lot of people don't understand is that those uh, companies and and those uh, foods that are inspected by FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, a lot of times they're inspected once every two to three years. Uh, That surprises a lot of people when they hear that, but that is reality, whereas with the Food Safety Inspection Service and what we deal with every day, it's daily. So again, if these people want to compete in the meat space, uh, they need to live by the same regulations that we do. Do you have concerns about uh, it being called clean meat? We absolutely do. Uh, And this is something where the activist groups have hitched up with a lot of these companies and the Good Food Institute, which is their trade association here in Washington, D.C., to try to pitch this clean meat claim in order to bring up the issues of environmental impact and sustainability. That's another reason why the Food Safety Inspection Service should have jurisdiction, because at FSIS, they actually have control on what the labels look like that are on uh, packages of uh, of meat products. So that would go a long way in utilizing uh, the, the expertise at USDA to prevent that clean meat label from even being placed upon the package. Uh, We think that they're just overall disingenuous because they fail to talk about all of the processes that they have to go through just to get that sale from the test tube to the uh, consumer as well. Uh, They are are making a lot of claims uh, and and just not being open with their overall process. But we're getting closer to that product being available to consumers, aren't we? Uh, We are. Uh, I I do believe that we're going to start seeing more and more of that, uh, especially within food service, as you see companies like Memphis Meats, for example, uh, ramping up and becoming more more visible. Of course, the protein-based fake meat products are already available 
uh, in uh, grocery stores and in a lot of uh, establishments around the country. Matter of fact, there are any number of restaurants here in Washington, D.C. that you can find it. Interestingly enough, there's a restaurant here in Washington, D.C. called Founding Farmers, which is owned by the North Dakota Farmers Union, and they actually sell a lot of the imitation or fake meat, which we have always thought uh, is is interesting. So it, it is here, and we're going to see more of it. Now, we're not concerned about it from a uh, a position of, of losing market access to this product. You know, there are going to be people that are interested in it. They want to eat it. We don't think it's going to make a huge impact in overall beef sales. And when we step back and look at it, we don't have a problem with the products themselves. We don't mind innovation. We don't mind technology. We use it all the time in the beef industry. So we don't mind that. We just want to make sure it is regulated. And we want to make sure that they're very clear with the consumer on, on what it is. And it's, and it's not beef. Because, and we hear this a lot, and it is a, a big issue, uh, as more and more of these product, types of products come on, on board and into the marketplace, consumer confusion. And I think there is a lot of that out there. We believe there's a lot of that out there. Matter of fact, the Consumers Union, which publishes Consumers Reports, actually did a poll uh, where they found that, uh, that that most people would want to see it labeled and to want to be very clear as to what it is, imitation or synthetic meat. Uh, so I, I think that is something that the consumer would desire and something that uh, should probably be considered in the nomenclature. Uh, if, if they are going to call themselves meat, it needs to be very clear that it is a lab-grown, a synthetic, or an imitation product. A similar topic, and we talked about this the other day with the National Milk Producers Federation. Um, they're not happy with the way FDA has handled the uh, uh, labeling issue when it comes to imitation dairy products. So FDA... Uh, in their view, and I think as we look at how they've handled it, does not have a very good track record on dealing with these things. I would think that would add to your concern here and and why you feel more comfortable with USDA having jurisdiction. And that's a great point, Mike, because it has been over 20 years since the National Milk Producers Federation submitted their first letter to FDA challenging the use of the term milk with a lot of the imitation products. So the fact that here we are 20 years later and FDA still has not done a good job of implementing the rules that exist today, yeah, we, we kind of have a problem with their track record here. We don't think that they actually have a focus. We don't think that they have the manpower and the motivation to do this and to do it right because there are uh, terms that exist today on what beef should be that aren't being applied to the plant protein products that exist so if FDA has already failed in this process, I don't know why we would want to give them more opportunities to fail. Yeah, as we heard last week from National Milk, FDA's first response early on on that issue, on the labeling issue of imitation dairy products, was it was too small of an issue to deal with, and now their reasoning is it's too big of an issue for them to deal with. That's not very reassuring on how FDA handles that issue. We're talking with Colin Woodall, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, we have to talk about trade, and I guess since the last time we talked, things aren't better. In fact, in in some ways, they're even worse. Yeah, they're definitely not better, Mike. Uh, since we last talked, not only have we seen the tariffs being applied to some of our products by Canada, 
but we now have seen the addition of a 25% tariff uh, to our access into China. So with the 12% we were already paying, at this 25, we now have a 37% tariff on any product going into China, which effectively shuts us out of that market. So uh, we, we don't see any end game in sight. You know, the president continues to tell us that it's, it's short-term pain for long-term gain. gain. And I think that you know, if we could see what that, that end game is or the goal is, maybe it would help us stomach this a little bit. But right now, we just don't see it. All we see are potential losses. Now, we haven't had the chance to quantify what those losses are yet. It's going to take us at least 30 days to be able to start seeing what those numbers look like. But from our perspective, it's not just the tariffs against beef. It's also the tariffs against our friends in the pork industry, knowing that if there is more pork here domestically, that that is going to be uh, downward pressure on not only pork prices but also beef prices. And that really concerns us, uh, especially as we find ourselves here right in the middle of the summer grilling season. And when they say short-term pain, uh, no one has defined short-term, how long that might be. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. You know, I, I think if they were a little bit more upfront with us on what they were trying to achieve, maybe all of us in agriculture might have a little bit different perspective. But that just hasn't been the case. They're saying, trust us. But, you know, this is the federal government, regardless who's the president. And, and it's hard to do when we see the uncertainty out there and when we see the need to move product and the fact that not only do we have these tariffs in place, but we don't have NAFTA 2.0. Even though the South Korean, the course agreement, has been renegotiated, the president still hasn't signed it, so there's still some uncertainty there. And we still don't have a plan on how we're going to try to get better access into Japan now that we're not a part of TPP. So all of this is uh, you know, combining to, to really concern us with the future of trade and uh, our overall beef access. We have WTO complaints against other countries. Other countries have WTO complaints against us. I'm wondering, depending on how these go, if the president would actually act on uh, some comments he's made in the past about possibly withdrawing from the WTO. You know, he he has talked about that multiple times. Uh, we, We can't really gauge just how serious he is about that we need to take him at the face value because as we have seen in the past when he typically says something he's going to find some way to act on it but we do hope that he goes back and he and he looks at our track record with the WTO because when you look at the US engagement with the WTO we have won way more cases than we have lost so it's actually been a, a great benefit to us as we have tried to take down trade barriers with other countries Colin always good to talk with you thanks for being with us thank you Mike Take care. Colin Woodall, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Well, that kind of leads us right into our next conversation. Colin and I talking about labeling and how important that is. Uh, that also not only includes meat, but in the, the bioengineered areas as well. A lot going on there. We'll talk with Chuck Connor, President and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. 
UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equals healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. The ag weather forecast calling for cooler temperatures and increasing showers in the Midwest this week. For corn, soybeans, and for the wheats, we're trending into positive territory early on this Tuesday with soybean futures an hour into the day, 8 to 9 cents higher, 4 to 5 higher in corn. Wheat futures trending around a dime higher in winter wheat and a nickel higher in spring wheat. New crop November soybeans shrugged off weakness yesterday to close out higher. The action marking out new support at 826 and a quarter for November soybeans. In the short term, December corn hammering out a minor daily bottom at 350 and a quarter yesterday. If that floor cracks, according to the wire talk this week, the next bearish corn targets seen on the weekly continuation chart at 335 and a half, that'd be the low from December 2017, then 328 and a half, the September 2017 low. An hour into the trading day, December corn up a nickel at 360 and a quarter. And again in soybean futures, trending into positive territory, along with wheat as well. Livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures were flat to 35 cents lower, 35 to 65 cents lower in feeder cattle futures. A quiet day is expected in feedlock country. Bids and asking prices not expected to be well developed. In lean hog futures, a mix. Nearby August in positive territory, 30 cents higher. Back months, a nickel to 45 cents lower. The Dow, 55 points lower. Crude oil down 54 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 800-352-1402. That's 800-352-1402. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. You know, when it comes to labeling of food products, labeling of about anything, really, it's controversial. Um, 
what is educational and informative to some is uh, frightening and misleading and uh, warning to others. So it's really hard to, to find that, uh, that balance of good education, needed information, and not uh, misleading information. We'll talk about that with Chuck Connor, President and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Chuck, thanks for joining us. Mike, thanks for having me on today. This is such a key issue. We just talked with Colin Woodall with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. They're concerned about this, the imitation meat, not only who has jurisdiction over it, uh, but uh, a lot of that, there's people wanting to call that clean meat, and, and many in the livestock industry feel that's misleading or puts a negative connotation on uh, on uh, regular meat, if you will. So when it comes to these kind of issues, uh, like I say, what is misleading to one is uh, needed information to another. We've seen this play out for uh, quite a while now when it comes to GMOs or now bioengineered uh, products and how we label those. So this is a, a touchy issue, isn't it? And we're trying to strike a, a good balance here. We do need a good balance, Mike, and, and it, it's going to require a lot of wisdom um, on the part of the Department of Agriculture and the Secretary to get that right balance here. You know, I think it's clear consumers are demanding more information about their food. We all acknowledge that. But at the same time, too, they want good information, and they don't want to be uh, unnecessarily frightened. You know, they don't want to be steered away from products unnecessarily. And, and striking that balance of information without um, any sort of uh, misrepresentation or misleading here is, uh, you know, is, is really going to take the wisdom of Solomon to get that done right. And we've kind of now it's almost become a word game. I mean, we GMOs that that's kind of for many has had a negative uh, connotation. So we've kind of moved now into from biotechnology to bioengineered. But uh, the wording has a lot to do with this, doesn't? It, as far as how it's uh, received. Well, it really does. You know, as you uh, survey consumers, you know, there's there's lots of scare words out there and and words that. Uh, um, you know, can create sort of misperceptions. Uh, we don't want to do that uh, with our food supply, Mike. Um, American farmers work hard. Uh, they produce far and away uh, the most abundant and, and the safest and cleanest food supply in our history, probably uh, uh, safer and cleaner than, you know, anybody else on this planet. And, and you know, we, we, we want to get this right. Uh, they work too hard for us to... Um, do something where, uh, you know, a group of consumers in some way get uh, misled or afraid of a product, uh, that, that would just really be unfortunate for the hardworking American farmer. And therein is part of the problem because there's a lot of advertising, a lot of marketing done today basically with scare tactics, uh, trying to say something is bad so our product uh, doesn't use that, so we're good. Uh, it tries to uh, demonize another production method or something like that in order to make theirs look better. That is certainly true. You know, we've we've always had a little bit of uh, uh, fear-based marketing uh, going on in our food system in the past, Mike. But but certainly with uh, social media and our uh, way of communicating today, that fear-based marketing has has almost become dominant and. Uh, uh, you know, I think consumers really are uh, confused out there many times. That's why they're requiring more and more information is they're, you know, they're trying to sort through this. And, uh, you know, our hope 
certainly with the biotech labeling and, and, you know, other things that may be under consideration with the government is, you know, we just simply give them factual information here. Um, I'm not sure there's a role for the government to do much else other than uh, just convey the facts and, and let the consumers, uh, you know, make uh, decisions based upon those facts. Is it a label we need? Is it a barcode for scanning? What do you think's best? Well, I think you've got to get a, a little flexibility uh, to the manufacturers. Um, I think they're probably the best judge of that, more than the, the, the federal government trying to make a judgment on what's the best label when, you know, we don't know what the, the, the technology used to convey that label will be two or three years down the road. And, you know, typically when the government makes these kind of labeling decisions, that's a policy that's going to be in place maybe for, you know, 10 or 20 years. And so, you, you know, you don't want to lock something in that's going to be outdated. So I think whatever options we choose, we've got to give the food manufacturers some, some flexibility to, to pick what is current and relevant for their consumers, you know, now versus, uh, you know, what may be the case down the road. And to some, this maybe doesn't seem like a huge issue, but it's, it's an issue that is growing in importance and influence on consumer uh, buying decisions and purchases, and it's not something that can be ignored. It has to be handled and handled correctly. You can't ignore your consumers. They are your customers, Mike. Um, as, as frustrating as that can be at times, uh, certainly they drive uh, the market. Um, our, our goal here and the goal of uh, the coalition that we've been involved in on the, the uh, biotech labeling is you know, really sort of, again, to make sure that, that the federal government is dealing with factual information here because uh, um, our farmers work too hard to really sort of have something that they're producing uh, abundantly and safely sort of be, be labeled and, and uh, viewed as uh, a problem in some way. Um, you know, our goal is always to, to, to make sure that uh, the facts are out there uh, and uh, that uh, the interests of the farmers are protected here. So I don't, it, I was going to say, when are we going to get some resolution of this? This it would seemingly have to be somewhat of an evolving process, doesn't it? Well, on the biotech labeling, it, it's uh, evolving, but it's certainly moving rapidly. Um, as you know, uh, Mike, we have had a comment period on July 3rd that has come, and, and uh, the department has received many, many comments on their labeling um, ideas. Um, I suspect probably a record number of comments for anything USDA has ever done. But they will sort through those, and sometime in the next uh, um, couple of months, a few months perhaps, uh, they will... Um, you know, issue a, a, a final rule that will be the, the, you know, the law of the land here. And so this, this is coming at us rapidly, and uh, certainly I know it's the goal of the secretary to have all of this in place uh, and, uh, you know, going forward in terms of the planning of the 2019 crop. So this is, uh, this is here, and, uh, you know, the time for input and action is really now. And, Chuck, you have to look at the, the motives, the agendas at play here, uh, some want to see, you know, okay, provide information, let consumers make a an informed choice and decision. But there's no doubt that there are others who may say they want that, but are actually wanting the elimination of some type of a product or, or production process. There's no question about that. I think everybody wants, you know, to uh, provide information to the consumers, Mike. Um, the, the, the real rub, again, comes down to, 
who is providing factual information versus who is sort of providing, uh, you know, scare tactics with alternative motives uh, associated with it. And that's, that's what's unfortunate here because our farmers get caught in that crossfire. You know, we've got a lot of people uh, engaged with consumers. I, you know, I will even give them credit and say maybe they're well-meaning, uh, but they just don't deal with anything that is fact-based. Um, and um, that's what we're hoping in this process, and that's our, been our encouragement to Secretary Purdue as he sorts through these very difficult decisions. Is you know, at the end of the day, you, you know, you, you just gotta um, give the consumers factual information, and, and the government has to you know be able to back up those um, that information. And uh, you know, if we give them the facts, then then the government has done its job. Yeah, it kind of comes down who will consumers believe and trust, and sometimes uh, that's scary, some of the uh, uh, choices we've seen made on, on that front. But uh, as you say, you provide the information and the accurate information, and hopefully they make informed choices. We're talking with Chuck Connor, president and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Chuck, have to ask you about uh, your concerns about what's going on in trade and the impact on agriculture right now. We're concerned. Uh, Mike, we're nervous. Uh, you know, we, we appreciate what the president is trying to achieve on a number of uh, trade fronts, but uh, this notion that American agriculture can bear the entire burden of these uh, uh, important trade actions, you know, has it, it, just, it, it's got to change. And, and we're not in a financial position with a uh, already 50% drop in net farm income to sort of, you know, bear the brunt of, uh, you know, these difficult trade uh, policy actions going forward. And we've communicated that to the White House at some of the very highest levels. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we are going to continue to, to make that case. You know, I was listening to your commodity market, uh, you know, report right before we got on. And, I mean, we, we've just seen it, an entirely new plateau on, uh, you know, grain prices uh, um, happen here in the last uh, few weeks. And it's almost principally, you know, the result of trade concerns. And, you know, it just could not have come at a worse time for us as farmers are trying to, you know, clear out old crop uh, uh, corn, soybeans, and other commodities. And, and uh, you know, we've, we've just got to have some positive news here on the trade front going forward for agriculture. Because with all that's going on, we've actually seen some pretty good sales numbers, and yet we've seen prices continue to drop. That's a big concern. It's a big concern. I mean, the, the market is just very, very nervous out there. They know we need these markets. We need a strong export performance. Uh, they're just very, very nervous, as we all are. All right, Chuck, thanks uh, for your perspectives. We'll hope for uh, more positive news next time we talk. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks so much. Take care. Chuck Connor, President and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Kelly Smith uh, with the Missouri Farm Bureau. Missouri, much of Missouri, in very tough uh, condition with drought. It's been going on for quite some time. It's really taking its toll on crops and on livestock producers across the state. And Missouri Farm Bureau has done some uh, surveying, uh, talking with farmers, producers across that state of Missouri to get uh, their thoughts on and not only their conditions, but what they're doing and dealing with those conditions. Hay has become uh, a high-priced uh, commodity very scarce in places. We'll talk about that and more next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. All right, crew, let's get her dug. 
Honey, you wanna give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Do you need a car? 
been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, unfortunately, this is a drought year for the state of Missouri, at least for much of Missouri, and it looks like conditions are getting worse, not better. Missouri Farm Bureau Director of Marketing and Commodities Kelly Smith has done some surveying here in the early part of July, talking especially with uh, livestock producers, and Kelly joins us now. Kelly, thanks for being with us. Hey, thank you for the invitation to be on. All right. Uh, so what has your um, survey shown as when you've talked to livestock producers about uh, what they're telling you about drought conditions for them and their impact on their operations? Well, unfortunately, it's impacting our uh, livestock operations, especially cattle across the state, uh, to a great deal. Uh, we asked several questions on our survey, and the reason that we did the survey to begin with is uh, we were trying to help our state FSA office gather information that would add uh, or hopefully would add additional uh, haying and grazing counties across our state on emer- for emergency CRP uh, haying and grazing. But uh, we asked one question was, uh, you know, what are your current pasture stocking conditions? Uh, and 50%, 57% of those that responded to the survey said that they had a 50% or less stocking rate. So we're being hit pretty severely uh, that way. Over uh, 98% of the folks surveyed said they had a first cutting reduced hay crop. Um, And that was to the extent uh, of about 61% of those folks said it was 50% or greater uh, reduction in their first hay crop. Uh, we also asked where the people are going to have to purchase hay between now and next April, next spring, uh, and 82% of those folks said that they were going to have uh, to do that. And since it's already dry, there's no local hay around uh, with that, uh, folks are going to have to go, uh, you know, 100 miles to 200 miles away from home to, to try to find hay. And probably, honestly, that's going to, since it's stayed dry the last two weeks and continued dry summer, that's going to probably wind up being greater miles away from home than what our survey showed. So they, they're going to have to buy hay. It's not available locally. They're going to have to get it from further away, and the cost of that hay is increasing. Oh, yes. Um, we asked them what hay was currently selling for, and again, this was two weeks ago, and on a statewide average, it was $74.50 a bale. 
if we would go up into the north central and northwest Missouri where it's been the driest the longest, uh, with that we're probably looking at 100 to $125 a bale, uh, you know, in those areas uh, now. So the, the hay cost is increasing. In an average year across our state, uh, you know, hay sales and big round bales for about $36 a bale. So normally $36, paying up to $125 a bale this year. Yes, that, that range was, um, you know, from normal up to the highest. We do have some areas of our state, uh, maybe southeast Missouri especially, that maybe has not been hit quite as hard with dry weather. Uh, so we've got some traditional normal hay prices, but uh, they're fastly going up all over our state. And probably the biggest thing and the thing that hurts the worst is our cattle folks have spent the last five years building their herds back, mm-hmm. um, and 72% of them said they're going to have to reduce their herds uh, this summer. And with that, and I, I didn't use a high enough percentage, I think, on the survey. I wish I would have gone higher. But uh, 60% uh, said they were going to have to reduce their herds by 20% or more. And I probably should have had a 30 and 40 and 50% on, on our survey, and I did not. Uh, but folks are going to be getting um, to sell a lot of cattle. And if you look at, start looking at the numbers in our, some of our auction barns across the state, that's beginning to show. We're talking with Kelly Smith with the Missouri Farm Bureau, Director of Marketing and Commodities, talking about the drought conditions and the impact on the livestock industry, in particular in the state of Missouri. And... We're talking primarily about the livestock industry in your state, Kelly, but we know that the uh, grain farmers, their crops are are showing the effects, the damage uh, of the drought as well. Yes, they are. Uh, Maybe not quite to the extent as our pasture and hay ground. Um, Surprisingly, our crops look uh, pretty decent uh, for what we've been dealt so far, uh, but our grain folks are starting to get hit pretty hard with this uh, as well. Yeah, and as we know, when you get into these situations, it you don't just come out of them right away. It takes a while to, uh, you know, a number of rains to get you out of this kind of a situation. This doesn't happen overnight, does it? No, that's correct, and that's what people are concerned about right now. Is, you know, one a one time one inch rain is going to help, and it will help our row crops tremendously. Uh, but as far as pasture and hay grounds are concerned. It's going to take continued rainfall uh, to, and and at this point in time, quantities of rainfall as well uh, to get us back to a decent shape. You talked about some of your livestock producers reducing herds. Uh, some of them probably just just starting to recover from the effects of the 2012 drought. Uh, that's correct. Uh, but, you know, as dry as that was that year, we started out norm, fairly normal in the spring, at least had some growth of pasture. And a lot of our folks are saying that this summer for pasture and hay ground is much worse than it was uh, in 2012 with the, the drought year then. Are you hearing anything? Is there anything going on about uh, efforts to help producers access hay and feed supplies? Uh, I think talks are just now kind of starting, uh, you know, to get into that. And quite frankly, all of last winter and spring when I was doing my market outlook meetings across our state, I was urging producers then to start, 
you know, basically trying to line up either, uh, you know, fresh forages, or make plans, in other words, have a contention plan if it does turn dry uh, for both pasture and hay and then buying hay as well. So um, we're just now starting to get to the point of talking about that, but we're going to have to move distances out of Missouri, I think, to try to find, uh, you know, substantial amounts of hay. Yeah, those numbers still jump out at me. Average, normally $35 for a bale of hay, up to $125 they're paying uh, this year. Kelly, uh, wish we had better news to talk about, but thanks for giving us perspective and letting us know about this situation. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Missouri Farm Bureau Director of Marketing and Commodities, Kelly Smith. All right, coming up tomorrow, we'll keep you up to date on the farm bill, talk more about the the harm going on in agriculture from tariffs. Join us on AOA.